Holly Knoll, host of the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. If you've always wanted to start a business and don't know where or how to start, you've come to the right place. After leaving an unfulfilling corporate career, I decided it was time to start a business of my own. Today, I'm a business coach and creator of The Consultant Code, where I help people start services-based businesses in 60 days or less. So grab your latte because you're about to be inspired, armed with knowledge, and given simple tools to start a business of your own from my interviews with Everyday Entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. This week, I am thrilled to introduce you to Kimberly Lee Miner. She is the CEO of Bumbershoot Group, which provides interim C-suite leadership and leadership development process creation and improvement and cultural transformation. Kimberly is a Philly native. She graduated from Temple University and attended Drexel for her graduate studies. And when she graduated, she embarked on a 25 plus year career holding major leadership positions at global retail and fashion organizations like Macy's, L Brands, Foot Locker, and Iconics. She's a fashion and retail thought leader and advocate for advancing women and people of color in the workplace. Kimberly is the founder and CEO of Wokra, which is the Women of Color Retail Alliance, where she and the team at Wokra support career progression into leadership positions for women of color in the retail industry through hard and soft skills training, leadership development, and networking opportunities. She's also been recognized by Women's Wear Daily and is one of Beauty Inc.'s 50 Women in Power and sits on several board of directors, including Blue Conic, Columbus Fashion Alliance, Kappa, and the New Albany Community Foundation. Kimberly holds a BA degree from Temple University in Philly, executive certificates in leadership and management from the Wharton School, and also has an inclusive organizational excellence certificate from Stanford Graduate School of Business. So on this week's podcast, I am excited to introduce you to Kimberly. We talk about really what it takes and what it feels like, what it takes to be seen in your role at in the workplace or really anywhere professionally and what it feels like to not be seen and, and what, what to do about it. I think often women and women of color, and Kimberly speaks more about this, have run up against blocks about really making themselves feel seen and be seen by leaders and peers in their organizations. So Kimberly dives deep into her experiences and will help you as you navigate the tricky place we call work in your own career when it comes to these topics. So without further ado, I introduce to you Kimberly Lee Miner. Welcome, Kimberly, to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. It's an honor to have you here today. We've had many discussions. We were able to wave at each other at a conference a few weeks ago. So I'm really happy to to have you back on back here in front of my audience to share your story and and your nuggets of wisdom. So thanks for being here. Well, thanks for inviting me, Holly. I'm I'm looking forward to our discussion. We always have such good ones. I agree. Yes. I we just spent about 20 minutes talking about a lot of interesting stuff that I thought, you know, I should have I could have just pressed record right there and that could have been the podcast. But jumping in, for those of you that don't know you, why don't you just give us a little bit of insight to who you are professionally, personally, what your background is and and how you kind of got to where you are today in, in your career. Okay. Well, here we go. So so I Obviously, I'm Kimberly, but I I am I have a name for it. But I'm a entrepreneurial corporate executive, mom, wife, friend, neighbor, woman about change. And my profession, I've been in the retail and branding world for most of my career, from the start with Macy's executive training program to most recently in corporate. I was senior vice president and chief merchant for the home business at Bath and Body Works. And then I led merch ops and strategy. And my my career has kind of spanned, obviously, you know, two and a half decades. But in that time, I've gone from traditional merchant roles and product roles to leading those organizations and building private, private brand organizations for Foot Locker, Davis Bridal, and several other com- companies, as well as being brand president for London Fog, Joe Boxer, 
Rampage, and Bongo. And in that space, being responsible for all functions, including marketing, digital marketing, you know, stores and, and the gambit of all the, the pieces of the, you know, retail pie that cust- that touch the customer. In addition to that, well, as a result of that career in 2019, I opened my own consultancy. It's called the Bumper Shoot Group. And I've had an incredible time working with fun brands like Victoria's Secret, Bandier, you know, and, and several others we offer interim C-suite leadership, leadership development, you know, go-to-market strategies and process creation, whether it's products or, you know, just your full concept and cultural transformation. Because I really believe in all my years of being in this industry, those are the three most important parts of a business, you know, without a strong strategy and, and process, then the business has no spine. I really believe that is the spine of the business. And then your culture, whether you retain people or you just have a bad reputation, that's just never good. And so making sure that cultures are aligned with values is important. And all of that depends on the leader. So those are the three legs of of Bumper Shoot. Recently in 2020, I founded Women of Color Retail Alliance. And, you know, throughout my career, I've been a first and only, I mean, really crazy throughout my career, right? Not just at the beginning. And, you know, it's just, it's very lonely. There's like this professional isolation. I know people are talking about it now, but having come through it in the 90s, 2000s, and and, and now it, it really weighs on you and it's exhausting because not only do you have the isolation as a one and only, you also have the responsibility of, of your whole culture, your whole group on your shoulder. And if you, if, if it's deemed that you didn't work out, doesn't matter why, then it also often closes the door for those who might come behind you. And then understanding that and then doing the research and, and, and seeing the numbers, I just felt like there was something I had to do because when I, when it first struck me, it was 2008 and I was a VP with a, a very well-known company and I just was like, wait, wait, I've been doing this now for like, I think it was like 16 years. And all of a sudden it hit me. I had never felt that way before. I had not been in cultures that made me feel like I had to bang my head against the wall to, to make a point or that I had to repeat myself because the first or second time I said it, someone else said it. And so people were like, oh, was it your idea or was it their idea? I mean, and, and I could list you know, the indignities and aggressions and microaggressions, but I had never really felt it to that degree. And I said, oh, there's something needs to happen. And so I reached out to people who I knew were VPs or above, but I didn't know many, but I thought they might know more. I planned a dinner at B Smith's in New York Market Week. Hey, come, let's let's meet. Because at least we would know each other and we could yeah. see in person in person, six yeah. people showed up and I was like, well, where's everybody else? <laughs> they're like, well, who, who are those people that you're talking about? And I said, well, clearly there have to be more of us that we just aren't in the same companies. They're like, oh, Kimberly, you're silly, silly girl. We don't exist. We're not there. We don't exist. And, and when I, you say we, what specifically do you mean by we? So when I talk about we, I talk about women of color. And when I talk about women of color, I talk about black women, Latina women, a, you know, Asian women, any woman that is of a group, a, a minority group. Okay. Yep. It, 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 they weren't there. And mm-hmm. so they're like, well, we just have to keep trying. And it was 10 years later, 2018. I was talking to, I was at the women in retail leadership summit and, you know, they have at least five, 600 women at this summit. And it was a yeah. but there were five of us of color, five. I have a picture. I said, well, we need to have a picture. And I was telling them what I had tried to do in 2008. And several were like, well, not several, all of them, because there were only five. They were like, well, if you do it again, let us know. Mm-hmm. Let us know. Mm-hmm. And so in 2020, I, I, I said, okay, I think I'm going to do it again. And now we have LinkedIn. So hopefully the results are 
better. And so I said that in my post. I just, Sunday night, I did a post and I said, hey, I tried to do this 2008. You know, this this was the result. Hopefully a lot has changed in the last, you know, 12 years. Minimally, we should all know each other. And the response was bananas because people were reposting and and we have 50,000 impressions of people. Wow. Hey, you should know about this. So you should know about what this woman is trying to do, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. We did a Zoom and it was beyond capacity. And it 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 really I was like, okay, clearly we got work to do. You broke LinkedIn. Yeah, it was great. I was like, I'm so (laughs) It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I and I was optimistic. I was like, okay, well, then that means things are changing. And they are, Holly, but not to the degree that they should. And so, you know, founding Women of Color Retail Alliance has really been, it's been extremely fulfilling because I've learned so much. I'm a data person, right? And okay, so what what are the numbers telling us? So I went back, I did the research and I was like, okay, so, and I used NRS. So there's surface numbers, you know, I love to get deeper, but just surface. In 2008, when I first had the idea, women were 60% of the retail workforce. They were 22% of leadership, I think director and above, 22%. Women of color that, and, and specifically this number, includes Latina, Black, and Asian women, were less than 1% of leaders. Of the 22. The 22. Less than 1%. So when my, when, when my colleagues were laughing at me, they were laughing not at me. They were like, it, exactly what they said. Like, you, you're so delusional. Like, mm. you don't exist. We're less than 1%. So the fast forward to 22, most recent numbers, and women are over, like, I think the number 76 point something. So let's say 80% of the retail workforce. And, we, and women are 29% of the leadership. Women of color are 3.5. So while that number has increased, it's not enough. And, and when you talk about gender parity, there can't be gender parity if there isn't parity at the intersections. And that's, that's, what happens? And so there's not the understanding, I guess, that if we lift all women, then we really lift women. But we tend to just lift certain women. And mm-hmm. so there are very talented women that get left behind. And so long story longer, that is why I founded the Women of Color Retail Alliance. And I I, I spend a lot of time working on it because it's important. And we have programming we do we do our network events. We've created proprietary training programs. We we now have a speakers bureau because we have an incredible database of very talented, extremely articulate women. And especially what I found is as I've been doing more speaking, people are like, yeah, we'd love to have more women of color on the stage, but we're you know we're doing a technical we're doing a tech summit or it's about digital like what are you talking about like there does that rule you out like does that what, mean, what does that mean yeah and they're like oh well we don't know any women of color who are in that space oh my goodness so i was like okay no problem so we're going to start a, a speakers bureau you you have a summit yeah. you know, here are three people you should consider. we've got people yep exactly and so we're been partnering with retailers so we can, we can grow, you know, we're, we, we did lunch and learn that we did for two years. Right now we took it off so we could actually do some research on how to make it a podcast. So that's why I was asking you the questions. Oh, uh, very cool. Yeah. And we're, we're expanding. We have so many ideas of how we want to expand our programming and how we want to partner and how we want to grow, because it's really about those metrics and making sure we see those numbers increase. And so that's who I am. That's what I do. And how I got here today is just, I think, a lot of tenacity, a lot of curiosity, and an irrational lack of fear. Mm. Okay. On that note, you told me a story when we met the first time I met you 
going to that irrational lack of fear, one thing that really stuck out to me was when you started at Express and you had some very fearless words to tell them when they tried to put you in a box. So do you know what story I'm talking about? Who I do. I, Can I you do. tell that for the listeners? Because I think at such an early age, you, my, my takeaway from that was like, wow, you really, had you not asserted yourself in that way, your career probably could have been so different, but you took that opportunity and voiced your, used your voice to, to change something that wasn't working for you. And so I'd love for you to share that. And I just, I, I think, I feel like that to me, it, it's something that really stuck with me. So, okay. Well, sure. Yeah. And, and let me just add this caveat to that, that yeah, when I did what I did, and I'm going to tell you the story, I didn't, I don't think I thought about it. And I think sometimes as women, we get in our own head and we talk ourselves out of doing things in our best interest before we even have the opportunity oh, to do it. For sure. What's somebody going to think of us? Well, <laughs> you know. So I, I just know that I really acted on impulse in, in that moment, which is the thing that used to scare my mom quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we will find every reason that our brains will find so many reasons to keep us safe. And to talk us out of any hope or dream we might have that might feel scary. And yeah, I, yep. I think I'll, I'll, you know, I think it's just human nature too. Back in the cave people days, we, we needed to do that. That was survival mechanism. Well, now today in 2023, we don't need to serve sure. in that way. Yeah. That means we're living our lives based on fear. Fear. And mm -hmm. that's never, that's never going, you're never going to win. No. So it's a story. Okay. So I was at me, I was, you know, in Macy's executive training program and, and one of my vendors, she was like, I, I just think you're really great. Like, is this what you want to do? And I was like, I don't, I'm here. Good. You know, <laughs> learning, I'm moving. And she recommended me. They called me. I had my interviews with Express. And if I was going to go somewhere else, L Brands and Express was where I wanted to go because at the time, you know, I, I was with a department store, but I knew that's not the future. You know, people are shopping in like everyone. When I worked at Macy's, I, I would lose people all the time to L brands in some ways mm. express or it was limited stores. And they were really what the mall was about. Oh, and totally. Yeah. Like in that time, right? Like that was the thing. And there was just an the energy there. And so, so I go through and I'm at my, Third, so I've had several interviews and they're all in person because, you know, there was no Zoom then. And so I'm back and forth between, you know, to Columbus. And this was my third trip. And I had to meet with, I think I was meeting with the, the like the heads, like the head chief merchant and the chief head of planning. And I always, I thought it was interesting that I was meeting with like some finance people and, but they didn't say why. They was just like, this is how we do it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah meet everyone because this is very entrepreneurial <laughs> so they they call me into the hr office and they're like kimberly you know everybody really loves you and we're really excited to give you this offer and so i have been at macy's and i i have been in stores in buying back to stores when i was in buying i actually was buying so i was an assistant and i was also a buyer so i thought they're gonna offer me a job as like a buyer right. or at least an associate buyer, like right yeah. where I want to be. Yep. And I said, you know, Kimberly, we really like you to join us. We're super excited to have you join the team. And the job is store analyst. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so I was like, wait, what? Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. But what does that career path look like? Mm -hmm. And so they were like, oh, well, you know, this is fi financial. And then, you know, it's a lot of analysis and then you go from there to allocator and then from allocator and they're telling me the whole path of planning and allocation. So I'm listening and I said, oh, wow, yikes. So I really want to work for Express. I really do because I know that you're the future, like you're the future of retail. And now that I'm in this industry, I love it. But yo, I can't, I don't, I don't want to be a planner. And they were like, well, what are you saying? I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I can accept this job 
Because if the only place I'm going to be, the whole path is just going to take me in planning. I don't, I can't accept that. No, thank you. But I just like, I can't. And they heard look at me like I was on, like they really, the looks on their faces were like, what? Like who turns us down? Right. And, and yeah. so he said, he's Dick, Dick Johnson was his name. And he, he said, well, no one's ever said that. No one's ever said that. What do you want to do? <laughs> I said, well, I eventually want to be the, you know, I want to run a brand. Like I, mm-hmm. whether it's my own or someone else's, like I want to be Pam. I want to be Michael, you know? And I don't think I can do that if my only back, my career just takes me into planning. So is there, like, if I do this, is it the option to move into merchandising? Because... If not, I, I can't accept this. Yeah. No one. Okay. So here's what we're going to do, Kimberly. I'm going to reach out to the leaders and you're going to go out with the realtor to get a feel for Columbus because she's already here. And when you come back, before you go to the airport, we'll have an answer for you. But this is really, is, you're stopping us because no one's <laughs> ever done this before. I said, okay. So I went out to lunch and saw Columbus and came back and toured around. Yep. I came back and he said, you know, we talked about it and we feel that if you are bold enough to tell us that to take our job, Mm -hmm. you're bold enough, then we think that you're actually bold enough to do what it takes to, to achieve what you want. And so we've decided, well, we've never done this before. We've decided that if you come in and the job is long path if you do an exceptional job and you're getting promoted and people are noticing you then there's no reason that you can't transition into merchandising at the Mm -hmm. appropriate time Mm -hmm. so i said okay well what does that mean the appropriate time (laughs) right right and so he's like well we'll just stay very close on it so at that point i was like you know what i'm going to take this because at least they've acknowledged it. They say that it's in my my file. And true to their word, you know, I had several promotions in that path, the mm-hmm. plan. And then I have become a controller in the bottoms division. And I was working for Carol Williams, who was the vice president at the time. Mm-hmm. And I maybe I was in the role for six months and she came to me and she's like, I think it's time for you to be a merchant. Wow. I said, really? I, I, you'd never ask. Right. You know, but at first I, I will say, I was like, oh, I'm not doing a good job. I've only been in a job for like not even six months. And she's like, you be in that job longer is not going to make you a better merchant. You are, you're a great merchant. It's time for you to be promoted. And I was, and what was interesting is that she had a role that she had in mind for me. But mm-hmm. when she made that suggestion, there were other VPs who I had worked for who then kind of went to bat and it was like, oh, she go. Oh, this is really going to happen. She's coming into merchandise. I want her over here. I want her over here. And I, I actually did end up working for Carol. I got promoted into dresses, which was oh, a whole other division. Fun. But so, so that was my story. And and you know, I tell I tell that story so that young people, anybody, can hear that we have to have agency over our lives. We can't mm-hmm. expect other people are going to make those things happen for us. They will help us if they know what we want. And it's not just about saying it. If you really have to show up and and you have to prove, you know, especially early in your career, you have to yep. prove I'm here because of more than just the job. I'm here because, and I think I can do this and and I will do whatever I can to do it. And I'm going to let other people know what I want to do. And that's why when I finally got to that job in 2008, <laughs> I, I had been lulled. Probably I had been lulled into thinking that that's really how the world was because that's what my career looked like. You mm-hmm. know, it had been incredible. Like, you no know, Macy's, I had three promotions at Express. I had eight in six years. And then, you know, I had moved to back east, worked at Foot Locker, had incredible, you know, successes. Mm-hmm. It was bridal, same thing. And it, didn't feel like anybody was holding me back based on anything, right? Mm-hmm. If I wanted to do something, if I could prove that I could do it, they were like, yeah, great, great. And then I I hit a wall and mm. the 
rest of my career was very much in that pattern that I hit in 2008. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I love that you, you, you know, underscore, we need to have agency in our lives a hundred percent. And it, and, and that manifests itself in many different ways, personally, professionally, you know, I think we have so much more power and control over what happens in our, not over what happens in our lives, but how we want to approach our lives. Then I think sometimes we realize, and and it's easy, I think, for people to think, well, someone else will help me or things will just fall into place if I keep my head down and keep doing the right thing. And that's always the truth. One thing you, that's usually not the truth. One thing you shared with me when we talked previously too, was just how you shared a statistic about how women of color stay in their roles for an average of five to seven years. And, and maybe I'm getting that statistic slightly wrong. So please correct me if I didn't get that hundred percent right. But I remember us talking about that and thinking like, why, why, why is that happening? Is it that people aren't taking agency over their lives? Is it that there's not the opportunities? Is it you know, what, what is your perspective on that? And would you be willing to share just more more information around that? I think that's just, it's so discouraging. I, I was really struck by that statistic as well. And, and and what can we be doing about that to change that? Yeah, I think it's a combination, right? And I, I, I think that as leaders, I don't know that everyone has done the best mentoring and sponsoring. So people know what power they might have, right? Mm-hmm. But no one gets, you know, no one is alone and no one gets there by themselves. Alone. Yeah. In the situation with Express, I said what I had to say. And when I started, I connected with people. Like I introduced myself. I did extra projects. I, I wanted people to know what I was capable of doing. So I would have sponsors. So then when the opportunities came, they were like, yeah, I want her over here. I want her over there. I don't yep. know that people are told that. I don't know that they're shown that necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so back to the statistics, those statistics come from our membership or our, our participants. We we survey quite frequently to see mm-hmm. who who is coming to our programming, who feels like they need this. And mm-hmm. what we found was the Average, the average person who participates with WACRA has been in their job tenure, not their job, but tenure or time in the industry for at least 10 years. And then in their jobs for five to seven, which we talked about, that's just like, I remember at Express talking to Michael Weiss and there were just a small handful of people who have been like, in their jobs for, you know, the, the whole time, five to yeah. 10 years, sometimes in the longer. And I was like, how is that possible? Because it feels like people are getting promoted, you know, or moved around pretty frequently. And he said, well, there are people who don't want to move. Like they just, they want to be steady eddies. They want to sit there and they want to retire from that role. Yeah, it's not really, we're not in that business, Kimberly. And if you haven't gotten a promotion in, two years or so, you're probably not going to because people see you as that steady Eddie. And so if you take that thought process and you apply it to women of color who have always been seen as, you know, the mother figure, the steady figure, the person who's going to hold it down. And then you, you see they're in these industries where they also feel like that might be their responsibility outside of their jobs, right? We do have a lot on Mm -hmm. us as women of color. And so if you are put in a situation that seems unsteady or you're thinking, oh, if I, if I push too hard, I might not, I might not have a job. If, if I make this person upset by challenging how I'm being treated, I might lose an opportunity, then you might, okay, this is a solid job. It's good. Good company has good benefits. I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to work my ass off and hopefully hope I get results. Right. 
hopefully the results will speak for me and I will get noticed and I will get promoted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing. Mm. That's what we're seeing. And, and, you know, in talking to the women in our, in our cohorts, I hear that a lot. Like, how do I, how do, how do I get seen? I've done this. I've had this success. I've had this success. You know, we had an event not too long ago. There's a young woman there and she had been a designer for seven years for this company. And she said she had had like 10 bestsellers, like number one bestsellers. And she had not gotten a promotion. She had not gotten a raise. And I said, well, why are you still there? Good question. Yeah. Well, she said, well, what do you mean? I've been talking to my boss. I should be getting a promotion. I said, no, you should. I said, you should leave. I said, if, if someone, if someone doesn't see your value, doesn't mean that you don't have it. It means they can't see it. So you, you have to be, this is where, this is where self-agency comes in. Tell, find a recruiter. If you've had, are you posting about your bestsellers? Does anyone know that they're yours? Oh, yes. Right? I said, they didn't come out of the air. So you need to create your story. People need to know about it. And then people will notice you. Tell people, you know, oh yeah, I'm so, I said, you don't have to say I created this. You can say, oh, I'm so excited. You know, my blah, 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 we just sold a hundred thousand units or it's number one. It's been number one for five weeks. You know, like there are different ways to make it exciting and tell a story, tell a story. What is your story? And when you tell your story, people will listen. If you've crafted a really good story and everyone has an incredible story, sometimes you need a little help with the crafting of it, but everybody has a great story. Tell that story so people will notice you. I said, and then the people who didn't care or didn't see it, they'll be really disappointed because you're going to be bringing that fabulousness to another company mm-hmm. and, and they see it. I said, so don't sit too long before you realize what your value is because other people will, you know, unfortunately people don't always, they don't see it. They don't notice it. Or sometimes they just don't care as long as you're serving a purpose for them, you know? So that's what I think is attributable to that. I mean, the other thing, just, I'm sorry to add, when you consider the different cultures, Mm -hmm. right. And, you know, and, and many minority cultures, women are more, I don't, I don't want to say delicate, but in many cultures, the culture is that you don't challenge, right? Mm. You don't challenge. If there's a boss, they know more than you do. And it's cultural. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with people. But those are the things that I think need to be part of the cultural map of any organization, understanding who works for you and Mm. and where they might have come from. You know, no one is where they came from. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah. do we understand where they came from? If if in your culture, you know, you have to defer for whatever reason, it could be the case, then be a be a leader who will understand that and say, Oh, you know, thank you. This was incredible. And and help a person. You know, you don't have to do it for them, but say, Yeah, that was really great. I'd love to share that with whoever else is in the room or share it with the ELT if if you're not a person that gets to get into the room. And that's mm-hmm. that goes back to sponsorship too. You know, the numbers, according to Lean In and McKinsey, mm-hmm. the numbers, women of color sponsorship, I think it was like sing, single digit number. I want to think it was like 9%. When you, and then with women, it was like 23, 24% of women get sponsored. With men, it's like fifty-six, a hundred percent, because they're all informally sponsoring themselves. And I'm generalizing here, but there's, you know, when you talk about culture, I see this as like a, you know, there's there the bro culture is alive and well in technology and in business, and it's it's kind of just I don't know if it, you know, there's it's inherent. Men seem to just kind of like sponsor each other because they're like bro and let's get along and let's hey you know this and that and I don't know if it's just naturally comes more it comes more natural to men than women but I I see it just as an inherent way that men act 
I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to someone and they were saying, you know, that men, have, men were blocking, you know, women's progress. And I said, you know, probably in some cases, I'm sure. And I don't know if they're actively blocking, but I don't think they're actively helping. Helping. Necessarily or, uh, yeah. In some cases. Yep. But I will say that my, with the exception of a couple women, more of my sponsors and supporters and allies have been men. Mm-hmm. So to your point, I would agree with that. Don't know mm-hmm. what happens, mm-hmm. but if it's just that women are insecure in their position, like, well, I got here, I got to hold it. Mm-hmm. So I can't bring anybody else who might challenge Scarcity. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, I think that's something that we as women need to we need to keep talking about and kind of get past it. Because the other thing is, you know, it goes back to agency. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking to women, you know, in groups of women and I I was at a, this is a funny story, but I was at a, a panel and it was on financial and fintech and you know and I'm sitting in the front row because and I was with my son. And my husband, my husband is a security attorney, so we were there for him. But I've kept up on what's happening. And there was a, a woman, she was kind of young. She was sitting, she was on the panel and she was, she just kept talking about how you should have a mentor. You need to ask for a mentor. You should be a mentor. And she, she said it like 12 times. So when it was time to talk, I said, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like to add, and my son is like, He's like, oh God, here she Dad comes. Talking. Why are you talking? This is not good. He's this like, your conference. And I said, well, I just want to address one thing that you said. You know, as a, an executive, who I'm proud to say I have really focused on people's careers and making sure that they progress. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't do that as a mentor. Anybody could be a mentor. You you can go on social media and follow someone and see how they do things. And yep. say, I said, yeah, you should stop asking for mentors. And you should probably stop telling people to ask for mentors. I said, you need to get a sponsor. She was like, well, what's the difference? I said, oh, very different. I said, a mentor will give you advice. You'll talk to them. They, they trust You trust them, but they'll give you advice. They'll let you know how they did it. Or, you know, there'll be a sounding board. I said, a sponsor speaks for you when you're not in the room. A sponsor has assigned themselves to you. So there's accountability. And so a sponsor is not going to let you fail. And if you are failing, they're going to tell you what you need to do to turn that around. I said, and a sponsor will be like sponsors at work. A sponsor gets you noticed. I said, here's what happens. The executives come in a room on a regular basis. They talk about their team. They talk about the people who they think are amazing. They talk about the people that they think they aren't. You want to be one of the people that are amazing, that, that you know that that person is, is committed to your success. That's the difference. If you're in a corporate environment, that is so important. And most people don't know about that and they don't know the difference. So they keep asking for mentors and they mm-hmm. get a mentor. And mm-hmm. then they sit there with their mentor and other people are moving forward. That's the, that, those are the, those are the things, the tools, the, you know, ha- politics of, of how to manage in corporate America that we don't know. No one tells yeah. us because so few of us come from parents who've been in that corporate environment to, to open the door to say, Hey, this is how you should handle yourself. This is, Oh yeah. Trinity. It's just not, that's not the that's not the reality. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of those bros, they come from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. you know, they, they've taught it in their fraternity. Like they're they're just lots of opportunities for them to mm-hmm. and, and they've gotten by with their charm and good looks in other situations. So they apply it to work. And look, women can also do that as well. But I love not it not to get too down on men and I you know, I always make it very clear on this podcast that that's not what this is about. But I do think it, that's an important distinction, a mentor versus a sponsor. So many companies have these like formalized mentoring programs and I've gone through them myself and they've always felt so awkward and forced and just like, like one side a little bit and, you know, on either side. And I think a sponsor, to your point, it's their responsibility to help make you successful 
it's not it's not their whole responsibility, but they're they're also vested. And I think that that's a distinction between a mentor. They talk about they will say your name in in a room when you're not there. I I would like to know just for you know listeners out there, people might be wondering you know how do you formalize a sponsorship or do you formalize it? Does it does it happen naturally? Do you ask someone to be your sponsor? How does that? How do you kind of know who your sponsor is? Well, is it important to know who your sponsor is? I mean, I guess it is in some ways. So here's the here's what I think. I think you want the person to come to you, right? I've not I've not been, and maybe this is something I just have to work on my own issue. I've not really been comfortable. I'm well, I don't know about comfortable. I've never asked someone to be my sponsor, but I've had yeah. To. Yeah, um, I didn't know they were my sponsor until something happened, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I found out they were my sponsor. But but the my approach is always, you know, I introduce myself to everyone. I mm-hmm. you know, I do this. What do you do? How do they work together? You know, wanting to know how the operations of the company work and and what teams work together because I wanted to know in my head, like, who can I go to? Who's right. my person? Who do I need to share what I'm doing with so they can see it, you know? Who's influential? Who right. can Who's make decisions? Are you yeah. oh, are you an admin or which is really good because you can get me on somebody's calendar or what do you do? Like understanding, really understanding what people do and then making sure that if you know what they do, you know what you do that impacts them and can make mm-hmm. their life easier, right? We <laughs> can make yep. their business better. So start with understanding the workings of the organization and who is who and make sure you, you know, you're walking down the hall and say, hello. I, when I was at Talbot's, I walk and I said, I talked to my husband about this. There was this young lady and there were, there were maybe three of us women of color in the office. And I would see her walking towards me and I'd say, hi, how are you? She'd put her head down and say anything to me. And I was like, what? What's the problem? And so yeah. it, after a few times, I said to my husband, I was like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. Like I'm speaking right. to her and she's not speaking back. Yeah. And he was like, well, maybe she's intimidated. And I said, that's crazy. But that was exactly the case because she was a junior. I didn't know what her job was. I just saw her. But she was very sure <laughs> to, to my role. But I wasn't looking at it like that. And so I tell that story to say, speak to everyone. Just say hello. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody you've mm-hmm. never met, you work for the same company, just say hi. I, I, you know, I'm Holly. Nice yep. to meet you. I work in blah, blah, yep. blah. Where do you work? You know, yep. you work for the same company. And if you right. take time, people appreciate that and they will share. Share what they do and start to create a pattern, you know, a path for, oh, this is somebody I should know. And and sometimes when I tell people that, they're like, oh, well, that's very, seems manipulative. What? That is not manipulative. It's purpose, it's yeah. intentional and purposeful. Exactly, it's purposeful. We're not telling yeah. you not do anything. I'm not telling you to, you know, do anything crazy other than get to mm-hmm. know who the players are and make sure that anything you do that is noteworthy, I don't mean just yep. your everyday job, like you yep. don't get promoted for just doing your job. That's just not how it works. Nope. And I know young people right now are really upset with me for saying that. But that is true. You do, yes. not, you do not get promoted just by doing your job for a certain amount of time. You should be nope. promoted because you have done something exceptional. You've accomplished something. Yes. Yep. And so it's you, you know, the young lady who had the, the best sellers, she's accomplished a lot. She should be mm-hmm. promoted, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how you get in front of people. And then those people, if they're worth their salt, and that's the other thing, those leaders, if they're leaders and not just managers or, you know, people who manage, I'm not saying yeah. anything bad about managers, but what I'm saying is there's a difference between a yeah. leader and a manager and a director and a leader. Like someone who's really a leader is thinking about the future of the company and the team. And they are looking for superstars, right, Mm -hmm. to move forward. Those are the people you need to know because they will say your name. And even if they tell you, okay, I think you're great, 
I've got your back. Would you, you know, I'd love to sponsor you. That's, that's, that's like the icing on the cake, but I don't think in most situations it's going to be that. Formal. It happens that formally. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you can make it like, I can see how you can have a formal mentoring program. Mm-hmm. Tell how you make a formal sponsorship program, unless you start when anyone starts like mm-hmm. automating their partner with someone they're assigned to you or something yeah yeah and then you can yep. see how it, how it goes you know maybe i think that might be kind of interesting to see what that would look like yeah well thank you i think that's a that's a really great topic and theme that i think people should take away is thinking about how can you go deeper and beyond mentorship to sponsorship to help you accomplish your goals to help someone accomplish their goals and, and their career career goals to be both-sided too you know i the message is to not just the employee, but it's also to the leaders. To leaders. Well, let's use your influence for good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. A final question or topic, also something that you mentioned to me last time that just really struck struck me and stuck with me. And this is switching gears a little bit. And back to the women of color focus and just sharing your perspective here because I think I, I I think it's important to have have a place to share this 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 particular theme because I think this is something that I I see often myself. I'd like you to share just your perspective on being a businesswoman first versus a representative for DEI. And that's something that you you brought up last time and and I I'd like you to just talk more about that with us. Yeah. So you know we've talked about how small the numbers are with mm-hmm. women of color in leadership roles running and in business. Generally, we've been in other roles. We've been in HR, we've been in support roles, products, mm-hmm. right? But it's a very small number of people who are leading businesses. And I think when people think of women of color and DEI has become, you know, buzzword, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you've lived it so you can speak on it you can lead DEI organizations. You're you can, the expert now. You're the expert. Yeah. And when I first was approached to do some speaking, it was, we'd like you to speak on DEI. And I said, well, I'm not a DEI specialist, but I have run a billion dollar business. And, and, <laughs> that, and I could talk about that because I think my journey would be interesting to be, you know, at this point in my life and to have built and grown businesses that are over a billion dollars. They're like, yeah, no, we want to talk about DEI. That's where we have an opening. And I was like, that is so weird. And then I was talking to a friend of mine who worked for credit card companies. She was in finance. I mean, she's brilliant. Has her mm-hmm. doctorate of finance. And wow. she was running one of their larger divisions. And they said, oh, you know, we'd like to give you this extra uh, responsibility and you're going to be the executive sponsor for the DEI organization. Now, they didn't have a DEI officer. They just gave this to her and you're going to do this. And she did a very good job at that while she was doing her other job. Mm-hmm. Came back to her and they were like, you know, you've done such a good job in this role. We'd like to offer you the role of DEI officer. What's, what's happening to my book of business that I, well, we're going to give that to, let's say his name is Steve. We're going to give that to him. And this is, we want you over here. We think you actually did better over here. Mm-hmm. Well, what are the metrics? How are we, right? Define better. Yeah. Right. Like, how are you defining that? Like I mm-hmm. ran this business over here and we did extremely well and I had goals and I exceeded them. And now you want me to be DEI. And I don't think that, I don't, I don't know. So if your listeners, if there's, if I'm wrong, please, you know, respond. But I don't think that happens to anyone else. I don't think that happens to white women. I don't think that happens to men. It happens to black men, but I don't, I don't, or men of color, but I don't see that happening to, to my white colleagues uh, or people (laughs) I know. And I think it's such a disservice because those are the most underfunded areas. They, they, there aren't metrics, there aren't goals. Like you have to create it all yourself. And then they can say, well, you're not doing a great job. Right. But what, are we prepared to do that? Be, just because we are of color, because diversity, mm-hmm. equity, inclusion is much deeper than that. It's mm-hmm. it's much deeper than just, you know, your personal 
experiences. You know, I I took from the Stanford Graduate Business School, I have a certificate, organizational excellence, leveraging inclusion and equity, because I wanted to know more about it. Not because I wanted to be a DEI officer, but I wanted to understand it on a deeper level because- For you. Right. It's, and it affects all levels of accessibility. It's not just a race mm-hmm. or a gender thing. There's so much more to it. And I, I mean, obviously I'm very passionate about this because I think that DEI, just that term DEI has been weaponized. It's been, you know, made to be a part of this whole woke thing. And, and it shouldn't be a title as far as I'm concerned. Like it should be about, to me, diversity is given. The world is diverse. What are we talking about? Like the world is diverse. So what's the diversity? It's about inclusion. Mm. And the only way we get inclusion is through equitable practices, right? Because everyone is not on an equal playing field. So if you're giving at equal, then you're not, there are people you aren't touching. But because of people standing in the doorway to inclusion, then not everyone has the same opportunities, mm-hmm. but everyone exists. So the diversity is there and, and companies need to really look at what does inclusion really mean? And it doesn't mean you have to have a black person sitting in that off that purse, that office of one with the smallest budget trying to stretch and, you know, and, and it also shouldn't be just an office of one because inclusion and equity should be a part of your values and it should be a part of every function of your company, not HR. Mm. My opinion. Bravo. <laughs> that, yes. Uh, yes. And I'm sitting here like clapping, like, yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I, one thing you said earlier along those lines was just in order to, you know, this is a like a, a women in tech focused podcast, but one thing you said to take this a step further earlier was we need gender, gender parity at the intersections. And I love that you said that. And what, what to you defines an intersection? What is an intersection and what does gender parity at intersection look like sure. to you? Well, so let's just look at, and I don't have the women in tech numbers, although I'm affiliated with that. Yeah. But let's just take the retail numbers. So if there are, if there are 22%, so women are 50.5% of the population. Okay. That's a given. So that's a, that's a data point. Mm-hmm. I think Latina women are 18.6% of the population. The U.S. population? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. And Asian women, Asian. So if we take the the whole population, so Latina or Latinx are 18.6 and Black are 14 point something and Asians are 10.1, I think. And then you apply that 50.5% of the population are women, right? But that doesn't, that means the, the, the minority, the racial group is the same percentage. It's just half of the total, a little more than half. Mm-hmm. And we look at 22% of leaders are women. And of that, so then we make that 100% and three and a half combined, Latina, Black, and Asian are three and a half. So that's the intersection. So women, intersection, race, right? Mm-hmm. Then each race. Then you have further intersection disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. and then you have LGBTQ, mm-hmm. gender, and, pro- and we keep we break it down. So those are the intersections. So at the intersection of black and female, or, you know, black women leaders in retail, that number is 1.5%. Latina is 1.6 and Asian is 0.7. So what I, what it looks like is getting those numbers closer to the percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, cause even if you were half, so Latinas were 9% of the leadership and you know, African-American Black were 7% and, you know, Asians were at five. That's a whole hell of a lot better than 
Mm-hmm. So that's what it looks like. And, and, and that's what's not happening. I had a conversation with a woman and I know she won't mind me saying, I won't say her name, but she won't mind me sharing this conversation. She is, she's an icon in mm. retail. She has been the CEO of several companies, so an amazing woman. And she's done incredible things for women, getting women on boards and retail companies and, and in leadership positions and in the C-suites. And I met her not too long ago and I, and I was telling her about Women of Color Retail Alliance and I was sharing some of the data and she was like, oh, oh my gosh. And she gave me information because she wants me to be a part of this other organization. And then we had a follow-up phone call and she said, Kimberly, I have to tell you, I have not slept well since we talked. And I said, why? She said, because in all this time, and I mean, she's been in this industry for a long time. She graduated from college in the seventies. And she said, all of these, all of these years, I have been so focused on women. She said, but after I talked to you, I went back and I looked at the women I had put in position and all the change. She's like, and I was so proud of myself because I was a proponent for women. She said, and there were no women of color. She said, over my whole career, I saw women and didn't even think about what you call the intersection. Mm. And that's what happens. We're not thought of because we're not seen. And until we're seen, Mm -hmm. we're not going to be thought of. You know, it's this vicious cycle. But that's the intersection. And that's where people should be looking. That's where focus needs to be. Because that's that's yeah. the magic, the intersection. Oh gosh, that made me like <laughs> this whole pod, this whole hour has been very insightful and just just eye opening for me. And I can relate to that woman. And thank you for sharing that story because it it gives me a huge pause and and I, I'm kind of out of words at this moment. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. And is, you know, if, if people want to learn more from you and work with you or work for you or hire you in your in company, where can we find you and, and how can we go about staying connected? Oh, absolutely. So let me just share all that information. So yes, I'm on, sure. LinkedIn. on LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Kimberly Lee Miner on LinkedIn and I, and I welcome, as long as you're not trying to sell me one more service on the <laughs> <laughs> but I know no, authentic connection. Take seriously. <laughs> want to talk about, you know, I love talking about how technology is influencing the retail industry. I love talking about this, the intersection, and how we can make yeah. a future and really lift all women. We can't lift all women if we don't lift all women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 then my 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 company, the Bumbershoot Group. Let me just again, you know, we focus on leadership, interim C-suite leadership, um, process and go-to-market strategies and creation and improvement. I love reimagining and process and I've got the best people who work on my team and cultural transformation because to me, those are the three legs of business. And we, we have done retail, we've done you know, brands working with private equity company with startups or established turnarounds. And we've also worked in the financial services industry, believe it or not. So really interesting, but you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or you can actually email me, you know, Kimberly at bumbershoot.net. And then the other thing is, you know, the Women of Color Retail Alliance, our website is www.ocretailalliance.org. And you can also find us on LinkedIn. So check us out and reach out to me. I would love to connect. Absolutely love to connect and continue any of these threads that we've started. Holly, this has been amazing. And I appreciate the platform and I appreciate your interest and your, and your, you know, your, your vulnerable reaction to, you know, what's kind of going on. Like that's, that's, that's what we need more of. People need to be, to hear it. It's like synthesize. How can I be a part of that? in some way. Yeah. Yes. Well, I hope all the listeners that listen today figure out ways and think of ways to be a part of creating change and creating opportunities and sponsorships for all women and specifically women of color. I know personally, I have some thinking to do myself 
and some work to do continuously. My whole life is going to be work, but on, on all the things, but you know, this has really given me some things to, to think more deeply about. So thank you, Kimberly, for being here and everyone, the links to the information Kimberly just shared will be in the show notes and please follow up with her or check in with her or reach out if you, if you feel moved. So thanks Kimberly for being here and really appreciate your time. Take care. Are you curious if your business idea will actually work? Don't worry. I've got you. Your best business idea starts here at hollynoll.com slash free. Go to the link and download my free business action guide. In this guide, you'll map your skills and expertise to build a profitable business idea. You'll solidify an irresistible offer that turns contacts into clients. And you'll implement my step-by-step framework to quickly land your very first client. Thank you for joining me this week on the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and you chose to be here with me. And for that, I am truly grateful to you. For more information on today's episode and this podcast, visit hollynoll.com slash podcast where you can find links discussed in the shows and connect directly with my guests. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you enjoyed today's show, share your rating on iTunes. Or if you'd rather tell a friend about the show, that would mean the world. And remember, check out my free business action guide at hollynoll.com slash free. Or for more business building tools, visit the consultant code on Instagram. Until next time, keep taking action to build your business.